Welcome to In the Spotlight. This is a podcast brought to you by the Guild of HR Professionals in association with Lace Partners. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, the first of our Spotlight Series podcasts by the HR Guild and uh, sponsored by Lace Partners. Uh, welcome to you all to our Series 2 of these podcasts. I'm joined by my co-host, Annette Andrews. Hello, Annette. Hello. Good to see you. See you as well. Uh, looking forward to uh, this afternoon's discussion. We are recording it just post lockdown and during that weird stage where everyone is on holiday and worried about whether they're going to get back or not. So uh, we'll see how that all progresses. We uh, are taking this series to a different place from where we were before, Annette. We're uh, going to start talking to some experts in the market, some people who are professionals in the HR space. Yeah, we thought about as everybody's starting to think about coming back post lockdown and starting to think about the new norm that actually we'd invite some experts along to share their guidance on what HR professionals and businesses should be thinking about as we go to whatever this new norm should be going forward. Excellent. Excellent. And I think we originally talked about this being a fireside chat which yeah. seems very appropriate given how the weather has turned in the last few months, uh, last few weeks. So it's it's been a bit of a, a cold time for us all. So as you say, post-COVID, I think um, clearly a lot of our discussion has been uh, around engagement and how to keep what are now fragmented teams uh, and teams that are spread between home working, some in the office, some in uh, in stores, et cetera, and so on. How we keep that mixed group of people engaged, how we keep them positive through, through what they're doing. And so when we were thinking about this topic uh, and who to invite on, we could only think of one person to bring on, and that's Stephanie, Stephanie Davies. Uh, who is the CEO of a company called Laughology, but also founder of the UK Happiness Awards, which I'm sure you'll tell us more about, Steph, in a minute. I will. And so we're uh, going to do a little bit of an introduction, and we thought we would ask you, Steph, to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, Laughology, a little bit about the awards, if you can, and then we'll start talking through. But also, if you want to share with us your nickname from school, if that's all right, or post-school, whatever makes makes more sense. And then Annette and I are going to share ours. And this is the first one. This will be the only time Annette and I will share ours. So if you want to hear this, you'll have to listen to the podcast. But fire away, Steph. So um, I'll share one of my nicknames um, and I'll share the, the best one uh, that I can share on this podcast, which was Davo, because uh, my last name's Davis. So Davo just became short for Davis. So that was my nickname at school. And uh, just a bit of an intro. So I always find it hilarious when people say I'm an expert um, in the field that I do, because um, I think I might be found out one day because my background, as you know, is probably really different. So I started out doing stand-up comedy. That's That was my background. And that's how I started 22 years ago in my early 20s and became hugely fascinated with how humour could deliver a message and I'm also dyslexic so humour was um, became my superpower because it made me want to read and write and so I always say that humour and dyslexia combined is my superpower now because I simplify words 
um, and make them funny. And also because I don't understand words, I get them mixed up sometimes. So start doing comedy, but then became fascinated with how humour could deliver messages in an interesting way, but also make us learn uh, in a different way. So started delivering workshops. Um, on the side in organisations thought this is a very weird world the corporate world it's very different to a comedy club and just thought that well my interpretation was gosh it needs a little bit of light um, and humour and why isn't that in there why do people use some funny language that isn't really that funny and so when I realised I'm not sick, I just learn in a really different way. I went back to university, did a master's in psychology, mixed two together. And what you get is laughology. I always wanted an ology. My nana would have been proud. So <laughs> I'm a laughologist and we're a learning and development company, hugely passionate that learning should be enjoyable and fun because people learn better that way and that happiness should be at the heart of organisations because we are human beings and if we can't be happy in what we do, what's the point? So that's what we've been doing for the last 15 years. Uh, We've grown as a team to about 15 and so uh, if I'm an expert, that's brilliant Um, and and thank you very much for calling me one. You're welcome. You very much are. We've been to a number of your events over the last years, and I, I have to say the approach is, is fantastic in terms of getting people to take a take a little bit of a light-humoured look at what they do in corporate life, bring it uh, bring it home, and change it. Um, you also have sponsored, or actually not even sponsored, set up the UK Happiness Awards. You know, tell us a little bit more. I was desperate to know about that. So curious. So five years ago, or six years ago, it'd be now, Laughology was 10 years old. And I've always had the idea that when we get to a certain point, I'd like to celebrate what organisations are, are doing in some way around um, happiness. And, and hopefully my idea was is that we get to a certain point at Laughology where we've impacted so many organisations that that it's possible for the award ceremony to really celebrate what people are doing in the world of happiness. And when I talk about happiness, there's a couple of caveats I always say. So first of all, chasing happiness will make you unhappy. And I truly believe that sadness, anger, frustration, all those emotions are really, really important. So it's not about this happy, clappy organisations where we have balloonathons and, and that's what makes everything better. This is about realistic happiness. So really putting people at the heart of what you do, inclusion, giving people coping skills, caring about the communities that they live in, really impacting those communities. And once you do all those things, that's when you get happy organisations. And we've been banging on the door about this for years and years. And then uh, probably about six years ago, maybe seven years ago, the world started to really, really listen. And so that's when we decided to do the Happiness Awards. And what's been so amazing about it, because as you know, we do it in business, but we also do it in schools as well. We've had then people phoning us up to ask us things like, what are the happiest workplaces um, that you know of where I should apply to go to work or which um, schools should I send my kids to? Do you know which are the happiest schools in the country? But we've also got this lovely set of data now, which we've collated from lots of organisations who have applied, who have got into our top kind of list. So 
as well as our own themes of happiness that we've researched that are important for organisational engagement and happiness, we've also got this lovely data now that tells us what works. I was going to ask you about the data. How do you measure and what are the different things you measure? I love data, by the way, so I'm always curious. So I sound like I'm a data person. I'm I'm not at all. Um, But we started out on, because my research when I was at university was around, can we really um, teach happiness and can we embed it in schools and organisations? And so I looked at academic research in the field, but I also did my own research. And there seems to be five things that come out every single time in terms of um, happiness. And they might be called different things by different people. So coping skills is one because we can't be happy all the time. Um, Positive relationships and support, not just getting support, but giving support. So things like purpose, giving back always comes out. So support for me was a lovely word that engulfed all that. Personal development and also confidence to be able to take that next step. And that's counting on that the basics are right. Things like health, safety and security. So what we're talking here about is skill sets. So when we started the Happiness Awards, we used that as the baseline. What are you doing in these areas and what practical things? So give us an understanding of your practical things and also your outcomes and your measurements um, of things like engagement scores, uh, community engagement and stuff like that. So what we did is last year, because we were at year, this year was meant to be year five of the Happiness Awards, we looked at a thematic analysis of everything that came in under those sections. And what was what was actually really interesting that we, we didn't, well, I suppose we did expect to see, but it wasn't on our list, was the importance of tech in all this, that um, how people use tech in those spaces to help people to do the mundane jobs so they could focus on some of those things like relationships and, and things like that. So, yeah, the, the data we had is, is a themed analysis of those outcomes, but also what works the most um, on those outcomes as well. This is really fascinating, isn't it? Just Because uh, we yeah. were talking just the other day, Steph, about one of your clients, and you, you made the point about this is not about happy, happy, happy businesses. This is not about happiness for the sake of it. It's practical happiness right and and pragmatic but also when we were talking you were talking about the fact that there is a direct link to productivity and research starting to show the, the link between having a positive work environment uh, and positive engagement and uh, those productive outcomes for an organization yeah and undoubtedly there are links and i still get challenged now probably a lot less and people say to me okay how can we quantify happiness and how can we how can we measure the outputs of it and and you can't it's a simple answer but what i always say to the ceos is would you prefer a workforce who are depressed unhappy and lack well-being or would you prefer a workforce that are well happy and engaged and they always choose the you know the latter but the other thing is um one of our clients and it's those two the one um and we we talk about this one a lot some of the um outcomes that we saw with the work that we did with O2 and it is simple stuff and I always say this stuff is common sense but it's not always common practice so we really looked at the positive relationships between managers and teams and and some of the questions and conversations that they have and how you build trust and, and all that kind of common sense stuff. And what was happening, particularly um, in some of their retail stores, 
is managers were going in and they were asking you know the right questions like uh, what's happening you know how how's business and people were coming back with the data well this is where we are this is what's happening so we said we don't want you to talk about data for a while what we want you to ask is how people are what's going on in shop um, how people are feeling just the kind of common sense stuff and that actually sparked conversations about why certain things weren't happening so for example um you know if there was um a low footfall for example you might understand that perhaps the shop that they had less um people in there that people were off on uh, leave or, or things like that so it started to be conversations about um humans and then that uncovered engagement and also help people feel um, connected a little bit more. They're just all common sense stuff, really, but made a big difference to measures and outcomes. And we increased KPIs, a seven out of seven KPIs for all their retail stores over over six months. Excellent. And, and I think it's... Um interesting now isn't it with uh, with covid we we spent quite a bit of time in series 1 of these podcasts talking about coping with covid dealing with the transition what's going on the crisis how to handle um, dispersed workforces and keep people positive and engaged. And I think initially that was all with the intent that it was going to end and we're all going to go back to the office. And, and now the reality is, and, and I think a positive reality is that we're not going to, right? We're going to have this hybrid type environment in a lot of organizations, not all, but in a lot of organizations. And, and so I think that whole point about positive engagement with your line manager is, is even more front and center than before. And I'm always reminded that uh, of that old saying that people leave the line manager, they don't leave their jobs, right? And I think it's still 100% true, right? I can see you all nodding on the on the podcast, but I guess focusing your energies on helping those line managers be more human, be more transparent, more engaged, and therefore giving a more positive environment could, is, is critical right now. Yeah, and virtually as well, which is even harder. Mm. I think if this goes on, what I think we're going to see is that the need for that interaction in a different way, because one of the most important things for us as human beings is social interaction. And because we're not getting that, so, you know, WhatsApps and Zooms and Teams, they um, in part supplement some of our social interactions. What they don't do is they don't um, give us those water cooler moments um, where we might walk past someone. Our social interactions with people perhaps that we see at the train station every day, all those things are important. Perhaps, you know, a quick touch of the arm when you see someone and say, hi, how are you? And pat them on the back. Um, and we know all those things are important for boosting mood, dopamine, endorphins. So um, we're going to have to look at ways and how in this new world that I think we're going to have to think about where do those social interactions happen and how, because as we move forward, even if workspaces change forever, which I think they will, if we are sharing spaces, it's still important that we have social interactions or if we're not coming into the office every day, how can we initiate social interactions in in a different way because uh, it's familiarity for us the brain absolutely needs that and without that we're going to see 
a huge mental health crisis because people need people. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think I'm reflecting on some of the things that I was talking with a client around the other day around this whole aspect of social engagement rather than just work engagement and the ability to give permission to switch off, to permission to switch off your video, permission to not have a call scheduled every hour of the day. You know, I think people have gone, the, 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 the pendulum has definitely swung and technology has made it very transparent for people, but also feeling quite intensive. So I've seen people now start to publish charters around you know, this is how we expect it to work, right? It's okay for you to take a break. It's okay for you not to be on a call all the time um, and trying to, to sort of um, ease the pressure on some of those those aspects so that people can engage. Uh, but also giving over time for just a social discussion. And I think sometimes with line managers or with engagements with people, you can just jump straight into a call, right? You can get in and start talking and forget the, the little bits uh, that you want to talk about as you go through. Yeah. Um, so, because when you go for a meeting, it, when we used to live in the real world with real people, do you remember that time? <laughs> uh, you'd walk into a meeting room and, I mean, Annette and I first met for, for today, but we'd walk into a meeting room, we'd probably, you know, shake each other's hands and have a little bit of a laugh and a giggle first. And and same with you, Aaron, I'd probably give you a hug. Yeah, and all that little stuff those little interactions are important for our trust building for conversations to happen for innovation for the brain to feel safe and uh, for psychological safety and so one of the things that i'm trying to encourage organizations to do so if you are having a meeting or a teams or if it is on video and i absolutely encourage people not to have videos all the time have a 10 minute before and a 10 minute after because that's your mm into the room chit chat and out of the room chit chat as well rather than just you know come straight into it sorry i was going to ask you you said to me at the beginning about fun i'm a big believer that you have to have fun in work as well and you have to enjoy the people you work with enjoy the work you're doing how do we make sure that we keep that fun element when you're you know as you said it's a lot of remote working a lot of video conference I, you know th there has to be a way as well that we make sure we weave that in yeah I, I, you know i'm hearing lots of innovative things and um, and it's it's the making time for the team it's not work stuff so i'm hearing stuff like recipes being sent out to individuals um, and then they have to turn the cameras on at certain points times of the day and show what they're what they're baking and stuff like that. But uh, I think you know, hopefully, if we do start to get back to a way where we can social distance, you know, using outside spaces as well, but also making sure that. And what I've really liked is um, the introduction of children on office meetings because it kind of lets us know that we're human. We've, we've dehumanised work places over the years and we're starting to see humanisation come back in and that, that's really, really important. And I think kids are a brilliant part of that. I had a meeting the other day with one of our clients, it's a very big client, and it was on the leadership team. And just at the end of the meeting, this child edged in, but he was in a Marvel costume. So it was a green <laughs> superhero costume. 
And so things like that, you know, turn up to meetings and encourage people to turn up dressed up um, in a Marvel costume, to have dressed down Fridays, even if you're on a meeting. You know, I know we're all dressed down or dressed up Fridays, whatever they are, but just think creatively about what you would have done together anyway and keep that element, but be creative about how you can do it virtually. And, And I'm with you. I really like the fact that we are seeing more of the whole person with their kids you know my dog as you know frequently appears on zoom but it's just seeing that more of other people's lives it gives you a connection doesn't it and an extra discussion points as well and what's really interesting so you know unconscious bias is a big thing at the moment and new research around unconscious bias just show that the one thing that creates prejudice around certain groups is our dehumanization of those groups especially outsider groups so um people who are homeless one of one of the reasons why this is a terrible thing that we, you know, we can walk past them is because we almost dehumanize it in our head. But when you humanize people by talking to them, by seeing them with children, which is one of the most human things that you can do, we cut down barriers and biases that those people belong in certain groups. So leaders, you know, just because they're leaders doesn't mean to say that we don't have a bias towards them or leaders don't have bias towards their team. So in terms of that neutralising people and humanising them, it's so, so important and just creates, I I love what you said, the, the whole person. That's exactly what we are. We're whole people. Well, it also makes our leaders realize that people do have other lives and it also makes our employees realize that leaders have those lives and challenges as well it, it, it's sort of a leveler isn't it in many in many cases yeah and if technology is not working it ain't working whether you're a leader <laughs> a team member you know that is just the way it is and I think that's been a big acceptance as well sorry I was just going to ask Aaron, what do you think as HR professionals we need to you know, coming out of lockdown, thinking about the new norm, what's your key message? What's your key takeaway for us as to things we need to think about as we work with our clients and companies? Well, I would love to change the name of HR because humans aren't resources. They're, you know, they're humans. So, you know, first of all, let's really rethink what is HR. Maybe we could have it stand for um, humour resources. Yeah. Um, or let's have some, um, let, let's ask the Guild to put in their nominations for what, what could HR stand for? Or, you know, I've heard some lovely ones, so Chief of People or the People Department, you know, stuff like that. And I think, and I am starting to see it. So, and we still have to have that element of, you know, it's got to be about the legal stuff. We we have to make sure the boxes are ticked and things like that. But one of the things I'd urge HR to do is differentiate between doing things right and doing the right thing. And it's quite a nuance in understanding that. But doing things right is by the book and computer says no. Doing the right thing is seeing the human in front of you and recognising that we don't all fit into boxes. Yeah, really important. Agreed. I was, I was uh, on a conference call with uh, a client just the other week and we were having exactly this discussion about self-organising cultures and about empowering their 
their employees and their managers to be accountable and to make decisions and do the right thing. And we were talking, interestingly, about using technology to support the HR function, but to enable choice and to enable people to have flexibility around decision, not to drive to a completely automated environment where the computer says no. So really sort of thinking about how to bring those things to life. So I, I, I take your point completely, Steph. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's doing the right things and getting those, those that allowing people to have that flexibility around it and treating people as people so mm. you can engage them in the right way. I think it's it's really interesting. We, we're going to talk some more over the next uh, parts of our series with with other members uh, of um, thought leaders in the marketplace, and 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 some of those topics are going to to, to look at uh, bias. Some of them are going to look at diversity and inclusion. We're going to talk about a number of uh, different areas and bring them together. And I think they all come back to creating a positive environment for people to work in. I think this is why we wanted to start this whole thing together around with yourself, Steph, around talking about positivity because it sets the tone. And I think it's so of the moment, given where we are post the crisis, that that is important that people understand that we don't want to lose that momentum, that positive momentum, the creativity that's been driven. Um, innovation comes from necessity, right? So it's um, it's, it's a key thing. And what, one of the things I, I've talked about for quite a long time, especially around positivity, happiness and engagement, is um, we need to flip the idea of it that um, we, we've always looked inwards into our organisations to try and look at how do we engage people? Let's, let's, let's engage people here. Let's look at what, what we need to do to engage them here. And I've always kind of said, let's flip that narrative and look at what can we do in the communities that they care about? to really make a difference. Um, what's happened in COVID is you cannot ignore that because the environments that these people live in and are in are, com- are being completely disrupted. So as managers, leaders, we, we've had to sit up and say, what's going on in their environment? What's going on in their kids' school? Let's understand that because they're not able to work because of those things that are going yeah. on. And so for me, I've I've constantly said, when I talk about support as one of the drivers of happiness, I've said, don't focus support on inwards, just flip the narrative and look at how do we support the communities, the people and the families that these people care about. That's where you get engagement, not a value or a strategy. People, yes, they do come to work, and I, I am passionate about what I do. You know, I love it, so that's why I come to work. But not everybody is, is like that. So when we want to engage people, let's, yes, values are important. Yes, vision is important. But people aren't fooled. What they care about are their families, are the communities mm-hmm. they live in, and that's become even more empowering. Definitely. And. As we draw this one to a close, thanks, Steph. As we bring this to a close, let's, uh, I'll ask you a quick question about what next for the Happiness Awards, given that this has been a disrupted year. Are you starting the clock again? Is it year five next year or how's it going to work? So I'll let you into a secret. No one's listening, are they? <laughs> um, so we've decided today that what we'll do is we'll do some interviews with past winners and we'll just uh, we'll talk to them about what they've done over COVID um, to sustain that happiness um, and use November, December time to kind of put some of that info out and some of the themes that we, we've seen as well. And then, yeah, 
go to next year and we were thinking about doing it virtually and all this but what we I think have to also recognize is for some people it's not been a great year and some people have lost their livelihoods and their jobs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. so um, I think respecting that is super important while also recognizing and some of the stuff that we might do is recognizing some of the heroes in our society that um, have absolutely stepped up and uh, been the happiness heroes that have gone above and beyond Brilliant. Fantastic, fantastic. And I am very conscious, Annette, that we promised I knew, I knew to share our nickname I knew he was at the start of this podcast. And we didn't. So, we managed to completely avoid it, Steph. Well, I Would will you like to go first? you my ultimate most embarrassing moment of my life when I was a blonde at school, about 13, 14, critical time for teenage girl embarrassment. And I thought I would dye my own hair at home. And it came out bright orange because I left it in too long. I, we're not talking a nice, light, mild orange. We're talking beacon. And um, I had no choice but to go to school with it and um, had to wait for it to grow out. It was, I think it was part of my lesson learned from my parents. And I was called Carrots until it grew out. There you go. Oh, I'll never look at you the same way on a podcast. Yeah, it wasn't a good look. That's all I'll say. But there you go. Did it stick? Right. Go on, I was going to say it didn't stick. Thank God. Can you imagine? Mine, mine's a little bit more mundane, but won't surprise you, Steph, in the least, I think. Um, so I turned up at school for, for the new school, as you do when you move up from primary into academy in the uh, in, in Scotland. Uh, and I was very excited to be there. And we had the first assembly. And as per normal, I just could not sit still. And uh, I got called out by the teacher for being the kangaroo in the front. And that was it. It stuck for the most of the rest of the school time I was there. Kangaroo Albury, um, just bouncing up and down all the time and not sitting still. Yeah, so there you go. Nothing to do with uh, pouches or anything like that. Just purely, <laughs> purely to do with jumping up and down. Please, I love it. So I'll, from now on, you can call me Davo and I'll call you Kangaroo. Yeah. There you go. Well, it's been lovely to meet you. Thank you ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure of all, always. Thank you so much. And uh, that brings us to the end of our first podcast of the new series. Uh, Join us for the next one.